Hello, Podcast Nation. You are listening to my autobiography, Tina Lives, written and read by me, Tina. Who am I? Nobody. But when asked the simplest questions in life, like, where are you from? There was never a simple answer. So I decided to jot the answers down in a book about growing up hippie, surviving the South, and getting the hell out, which is why Tina Lives. Episode 2, Shedding Light on Mom and Dad. My mom and dad were cruel, mostly between themselves, but also with others. I took for granted and accepted as normal the dirty little vignettes of violence that their relationship taught me about love, life, and friendship. One of my mother's friends, who seemed to do for her out of obligation, was a man named Mr. Cox. He was always around and he stood out like he didn't belong. My parents, despite my father's conservatism and my mother's Catholicism, were hip, not square. They were hip in the sense that they were drinkers, dancers, and troublemakers, who are always cool. And my father did have that hot rod car. But Mr. Cox, who may have been their age, looked old and stuffy and out of step with my parents' world. He looked like an insurance salesman, which I believe he was. One deep, dark middle of the night, I saw him with my parents in a compromised position when he probably should have been home with his family. I was rousted out of sleep by angry voices, chaos, and the fear in the belly that comes with these. I slid out of bed and quietly tiptoed down the darkened hallway, pressing myself tightly against the wall until I could peek around the corner. I saw Mr. Cox lying on the floor with lots of cherry red blood splashed all over his face. My father was standing over him with his fists clenched, yelling and pounding at Mr. Cox's face. He beat him with an untamed anger while my mother stood right next to them with a dustpan in her hand. She had it raised in the air like she was really going to get him this time, which didn't make sense because he had always been so kind to her. I was surprised to see a man of Mr. Cox's stature laying on the floor in this manner and couldn't imagine what he had done to deserve this beating. He looked so helpless and pathetic, and I thought he was going to die. The whole scene was ghoulish, like something out of a movie that grew even creepier when I returned to my room and pulled the covers over my head to escape the insanity. From that darkened cove, I could hear my own shallow breathing and the sound of my parents' laughter, hysterical and without remorse. Mr. Cox did not die, nor did he learn his lesson. My mother had obviously cast some sort of spell over him because the next time I saw him, he was opening up his home to us. We were in need of refuge after my father broke my mother's nose for what was rumored to be the second time. Like so many times before, I woke up in the middle of the night with what I thought were the growls of an empty stomach but were actually the hushed whispers of female voices. Not very alarming, so I went back to sleep. 
In the morning, I got the feeling that something was different, unusual, and important, and I felt compelled to go check on my mother. For some unknown reason, the last person in the world that I wanted to see was my father, but something told me he wasn't there. Jim wore strong cologne, and when he wasn't around, our house smelled like a spring day with the windows and doors wide open and the air safe to breathe. I tiptoed up the stairs with each old step creaking and slowly turned the doorknob to my parents' bedroom. I saw someone in the bed, but it didn't look like my mother. It looked like a man, but not my father. The face of the person lying there was indistinguishable due to the large white bandage covering the nose and the purple, blue, and red coloring of the face. All of a sudden, the unknown and frightening person lifted their head from the pillow and called out my name. Tina, I'm okay. Close the door. Later that day, the cavalry showed up in the form of my Italian aunts. They sat around the Formica kitchen table, sipping coffee, while surreptitiously peering out from under the swoops of bangs that cascaded down from the teased-up mounds of hair centered on the crowns of their heads. My aunts were all beautiful and never underdressed. They wore go-go boots and smelled of aquanet and cigarettes, and even though they were always fighting and bickering with each other, I felt so happy when they were around. Their presence was like that of a doo-wop girl group or a very fashionable gang of girls straight off the set of West Side Story. My mother lied to me about how she broke her nose, and for a while I believed her. She told me that she accidentally slammed it in the car door. But after reenacting that scenario a couple of times in my mind, I just couldn't see how it was possible. I needed it not to be possible because I didn't want to slam my nose in the car door. Not long after, we, my mother and her four children, sought refuge at Mr. Cox's house in the well-to-do outskirts of Cleveland. The house had wall-to-wall carpeting, a family den, and a formal dining room, and I never got comfortable there because I felt like we were in hiding or maybe just lost at sea. A lonely little family perched precariously on a tiny life raft, waiting to be rescued. So, for the most part, I treaded lightly. But we were nowhere near the sea. We were in the suburbs, and there was a very large backyard behind the house, spacious and green with grass but no trees. I sat on display in that backyard one day with a sudsy bar of soap in my mouth. It was my punishment for saying a cuss word in front of Mr. Cox's precious little children. He had three of them, and they were all annoying. I don't recall seeing a Mrs. Cox because she either blended into the wallpaper or just wasn't there, which might explain the strange little vibe that was going on between Mr. Cox and my mother. They acted like two people who shared a secret, and I suspected that my dad had found out about it, and that is why he broke her nose. We moved into the one-and-a-half-bedroom apartment that I burned down right after we left the refuge of Mr. Cox's house, 
and the last I heard of my dad's voice was near Christmas, about a month before the fire. He came around in the middle of the night, a drunken skinny Santa delivering gifts to our Christmas tree while we slept. It may have been wishful thinking, but I'm quite sure that I was awakened by the sound of my mother flirting with my dad. I listened intently as their warm conversation turned hot and defensive. Someone pissed someone off, and it didn't take long before the joy of the holiday ended with the chairs being knocked around the room. As I lay there curled up under the covers of my bed, I caught a glimpse of them standing face to face through a slit in the door. Although the night was taking a turn towards the uncomfortable, seeing my parents together again was strangely reassuring. My father looked so very handsome, and my mom was as beautiful as ever. Her flawless porcelain skin was glowing under her rich black hair, teased high and brushed to a flip at the ends. I didn't like the way our kitchen looked in the middle of the night. The overhead light fixture produced a strange atmosphere in which parts of the room were starkly lit and others were cast in gloomy, dim shadows. This lighting seemed to heighten an emotional pressure that I knew would inevitably lead to a knockdown, drag-out scrap. As their fight escalated, my teeth started grinding and my stomach bunched up into knots. I didn't want to hear it. I wanted it to stop. I wanted it to go away. I tried to picture something sweet like angels, but angels were too quiet. Instead, I summoned up fingernails on the chalkboard, which worked very well, and I became distracted by the tingling in my mouth and the tingling in my brain. But soon enough, the cacophony of noises in the kitchen and the sounds in my head made me nauseated. A new tingle swept over me in the form of chills, and I leaned over the side of the bed and threw up. The Christmas presents that my father had brought that night were all destroyed in the fire. Me.